when you're receiving something for your soul, it makes you want to go back again. Go back to the fountain. Hallelujah. Praise God. That fountain of living water that uh, we can drink from. And the scripture said, He that drinketh shall never thirst again. And it was talking about this wonderful Spirit of God. It will quench that thirst. And I thank God for it. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'd like to ask you to stand with me. We're going to go into the word of the Lord. And I feel in the Holy Ghost that God is certainly not through in this service. I'm going to ask you to let me have your attention and get your children just as close to you as they can, as you can. And, and uh, sit real still and listen to the word of the Lord. Amen. Because I feel the Spirit of the Lord moving in a wonderful way in this service. Praise God. I know that the Spirit of God is here to uh, feel and touch every person. You know, that's what's important. is not just a few, but that every person could be touched by the presence of God and all of us could be drawn closer to God together. Amen. Uh, we're going to have a, a morning prayer meeting in the morning and then we're going to omit it uh, for Tuesday and Wednesday. But, uh, those that can, if possible, will you join with us in the morning for prayer, and it'll be omitted on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. I thank God for the wonderful prayer meetings that God has given us in this church, and prayer warriors, and prayer warriors that are developing, and I thank God for that. Amen. Romans, the uh, fifth chapter, reading from Romans, the fifth chapter. And the 19th verse, Romans 5 and 19. For as by one man disobedience, one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offenses might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And by the help of the Holy Ghost, just for a little bit here tonight, I want to preach to you from this thought that I know the Lord laid up on my heart. And that's going beyond Calvary. What's beyond Calvary? Would you say that with me tonight? What's beyond Calvary? Amen. I'm asking you to do one thing with me, and that's pray and ask that the Lord would have his way in the remainder part of this service. Amen. You can be seated. What's beyond Calvary? and going beyond Calvary. As I read to you, sin entered into the world by one man's disobedience to God. Sin entered into this world. And that man, his name was Adam. Adam, through sin, disobedience to God, disrupted the marvelous and beautiful plan that God had for him 
when he disobeyed God, because when God put him in that garden, he put him there for the purpose of being a dresser, keeping the garden, and it was a beautiful place. And in it he put a tree, and he said, do not eat of the fruit of this tree. If you do, the day you do, you shall die. And through this man's disobedience to God, it disrupted this beautiful place that God had put man, him falling, him coming short of what God intended for mankind. But you see, God never has made someone serve him. He does not make a robot. He could have done that if he had so desired. He could have programmed a man to where he would have had no power to make that choice or that decision when temptation comes. He would have been pre-programmed to just to have loved God and to have worshiped and lifted up the name of the Lord. But it was not so. In that hour, it was, uh, God did not do this. He had it put inside man the power to make that choice and he could choose whether he wanted God, wanted to praise and serve God and be obedient to God and live for God, or he could do whatever he decided in his heart and his mind to do. God has given all of us that power to choose. Sad to say, but it's true. Man made the wrong decision. He disrupted the beautiful thing that God had planned for him. And then he brought about, though, a way that man could redeem himself that is known as a redemption plan that man could redeem himself from his mistakes and his sin and you see Adam and Eve the first thing they do they cover themselves with fig leaves but when God comes walking through that garden in the cool of the day and he says Adam where art thou and he's hid from God he sees that this is not a covering for him that it will not uh, redeem him because he's hiding from God and it, there in the garden God allows there to be blood shed an animal something had to die man was clothed with that uh, garment that was made for him from that animal and blood was spilt something that was so beautiful something that God had intended and planned so well now it had been disrupted even to the point that this blood had to be spilt and something had to die in the paradise of God. And then you see, though, on down through time that man is offering up sacrifices. All kind of animals is put up on that offering. A horrible scene, you see. When you see innocent animals, it could not just be any animal. It had to be an animal that was perfect in every way, without blemish, without spot. And then uh, the animal was sacrificed unto God. Oh, I'm telling you, around that altar must have been a horrible sight to see the blood that was flowing, the smell of flesh as it's burning, the sacrifice that's going up but it's God's way and redemption plan because of man's falter and sh falling short, short of what God intended. It was, it was God's way of reaching out to man that man could be redeemed. Then we go on to Calvary and where the 
innocent Lamb of God is lifted up and offered up as the supreme sacrifice. What a horrible sight it is to see as you follow the footsteps of Jesus Christ and you see him now in the garden and he's kneeling and he's praying and his flesh is crying out and it's saying, oh, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. I'm going to tell you, if you could see him in the agony, if you could see him in the garden, if you could go with him through the garden and see the innocent Lamb of God crying and sobbing and his flesh reaching out and his flesh just like our flesh, not wanting to die, but it's, it's crying out, oh, let this bitter cup pass from me, let this thing pass from me if it is possible and in agony until his sweat, the Bible says, it becomes as great drops of blood. He's in such agony and carrying such a load. You see, Calvary was a horrible and an awful place to visit and to see. It was a terrible time, and he goes from there to men have come now to take him and to have a, nothing but a mockery of a trial to decide whether he's innocent or whether he's guilty and it's already pre-planned, and he knows what's going to happen, and he's prayed now for strength and said, give me the strength and the help for the hour, and I'm glad to tell you the grace of God, it does give us strength and help for whatever hour we would face, and that same power empowered Jesus Christ to look death square in the face and see it for what it was and have the power to not, they did not take his life, he laid down his life. There's no way that men would have been able to ever taken the life of Jesus Christ, but he so willingly gave it after that garden experience. But now he's in this mock of a trial, and they're mocking him, and they're laughing, and they're, somebody's clearing their throat, and they're spitting upon him, and they're plucking out his beard, and they're slapping him. And then finally, to add insult to insult, they plaid a, a crown of thorns and some burly feller comes and, and pushes them down upon his head and, and here he is, he's the king and he says he's the king of the Jews and they take him to one judge, Pilate, and Pilate knows and feels in his heart that he's innocent and, and would desire to deliver him and he's, finally he says, let me send you to another judge and he sends him to another one and Herod sends him back to Pilate and, and his Pilate's wife comes out and says, don't have anything to do with this man. I've been troubled about him in a dream. And his, his heart, and his, the better side his, of his judgment is talking to him and saying, don't, don't do this, don't do this. And finally, after such agony, he finally comes up with a thought, well, there's Barabbas. And it's come the time of the year that we're going to deliver one. And perhaps this will, this will settle this for good. And and he says, we will deliver one of these prisoners. Which one? And they've incited the mob to cry and to say, give us uh, uh, Barabbas uh, and let this man called Jesus die. Now they're taking him to, uh, and for him to carry his own cross. Uh, and they're making their way. He's making his way up Calvary, falling under the load of that horrible cross uh, that was, should not have been his. He's making his way and through uh, losing sleep and losing strength and just being a man like you and I tonight, uh, he falls beneath the load of that cross. Uh, 
but now making his way on to the top of the hill. They lay him upon the cross and they begin to nail his hands to that cross and his feet. And uh, the, a horrible, horrible time, a horrible scene to see. I'm telling you, sin has always created problems for me, man. It's always been a horrible thing to deal with. The fruits of sin is a terrible thing to have to deal with. Now he's hanging between earth and glory. And there is he's hanging and they're still mocking and laughing and even casting lots over his robe and got a, a mockery sign hanging over him. He says he, he is the king of the Jews. This is not enough. He's hanging there in agony and the women are around him. He looks at his mother and his heart is bleeding with such pain and such agony. And he looks at her and he says, John, behold thy mother. Or John, take care of your mother and take your mother, take our mother and take her away. Don't let mother sit here at the foot of this cross and stand at the foot of this cross and watch me breathe my last breath. Oh, I'm going to tell you something tonight. Sometimes we live too far from Calvary. Sometimes we live too far from the price that was paid that we would have this liberty and have this victory and have this anointing of God in our life. Uh, sometimes it's just not real enough. Uh, we you better watch what's in your heart. That's the only thing that gets you messed up is what's in your own heart. Curse it in the name of Jesus. I resist you, devil. I rebuke you, Satan. Hallelujah. If you're going to live for God, it's going to be because you made up your mind. I am going to live for God and I am going to hedge this flesh in and deny this flesh and crucify this flesh and bring this flesh under subjection. People make provisions. They know what they've got in their mind. They know what they're wanting to do. And they allow themselves. They set their own trap for their own soul to be destroyed. It's hard to prove. Give us help, Lord, power, Lord, amen, over our very own flesh. You know who's our enemy tonight? When you look at him in the mirror, you see him. He ain't the devil. Hallelujah. It's what's in our heart. Thank you, Jesus. I think I've said enough about the devil. And the way he works. Let me tell you who we should fear. We should fear the Lord. That's the. If we can keep 
God happy and please him and it is and it is not hard everything's going to be all right Matthew the 10th chapter the 28th verse Jesus said and fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's who to fear. Fear God. Talk to you about the devil. Let me finish this message by talking to you about the one to really fear. Fear God, who can destroy both soul and body. We better love this way. The biggest danger that is in child of God's life is after you have received the Holy Ghost, you grow, grow lukewarm in God. He said, I'd rather for you to be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, he said, I'll spew you out. The biggest danger for us is after we have tasted this life, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that then we'd go back to this old, as my daddy used to say, mullygrub spirit, and start complaining about the things of God. God's attitude toward us will be just as his attitude was toward the children of Israel. Isaiah said it in the book of Isaiah and the fifth chapter. Isaiah 5, he talked about his vineyard and he compared the vineyard to his church, his people. And he told all the things that he'd done. He said, I fenced it, I gathered out the stones, I planted it with the very best, I put a wine press in it, I've done all these good things for it. And then he said, I looked that it should bring... Marion Michael Morrison Singing forth grapes and brought it forth wild grapes. And then he just backs off and he asks a question. He said, what more could I have done for my vineyard than that I have already done? And I want to tell you tonight, you may find a lot of things to complain about. You may find some, something to fuss about. But I, God sees this whole thing different than what you see it. God sees what he has done in your life. And the devil gets us down here on a low plane and our vision and our ability to understand is so limited and we are so that we cannot see and we do not have knowledge and understanding of all. We're not able to comprehend every blessing and all the victories that God has already done and we get to fold in our hands and we get to complaining and fighting fault with the things of God. And God says, and I believe just as sure as he said it to Israel, I believe he's saying it to his church tonight. I believe he's saying it to every individual that's in this building. 
And if we don't bring forth what God wants out of our life, he's asking the question, well, what else can I do for them? I blessed them. I protected them. My hand's been up on them. I have prospered them. I have been with them. And all the mighty and the great things that God has done for us. And then he says, I looked that it should bring forth grapes and brought it forth.